You're listening to the Earn That Body podcast, episode number 306. Welcome to the Earn That Body show with Kim Eagle. Kim is an award-winning personal trainer. She trains her clients all over the world online and is passionate about empowering people by getting fit and healthy. podcast. This is Kim Eagle and welcome back or if you are a new follower, welcome to the Earn That Body podcast. So great to have you. This is a podcast that will always have nutrition information, fitness or even health information and I always like to say that you can put into play right away. So I do a lot of education about all of these topics. Um, Sometimes we talk about something that's going on in the news. Sometimes we talk about weight loss. Sometimes we talk about inspiration, how to stay motivated. So many things to help you earn that body, a healthy body that is. What have we got going on with earn that body? Well, the summer six pack two week challenge starts April 17th. If you have not registered, I highly recommend you do because at this point, Um, we're running out of spots because I do try to limit the space for the first session. We always do a super fun private community Facebook page and I like it to be on the smaller side so we get maximum engagement. So if you are interested in getting your nutrition back on track, we're gonna have some nutrition challenges within the summer six pack. And we have fantastic abdominal core videos. I have to say, I filmed these before um, I had my knee procedure and they are killer core workouts. So just a little something to help you get ready for summer bikini season. I want you fit, I want you healthy, I want you confident when you go try on your bathing suit. So make sure you sign up for summer six pack. You can go right to earnthatbody.com. There is a link on top, right in that center top section of the homepage and you can get more information there. Now today we have the Ask Me Anything podcast episode and what that means is I put an Ask Me Anything question out to my social media followers, to my clients, to my Facebook community group and say, hey, you got a question for me? It can be about me personally, anything about my fitness, health and nutrition or do you have a question for yourself about your personal health, nutrition and fitness? Great way to get some free advice. Um, I always say post a question if you have one about something you're working on for your health and fitness and I will give you my opinion. Now if you didn't get a chance to ask a question, you didn't know that I had such a great free advice forum, <laughs> all you need to do is you can shoot me an email, kim at earnthatbody.com anytime with an ask me anything question and I will put it in my little bank of questions for the next time that I do this episode. I try to do it once a quarter, but it's actually been a while since we've done one. So I have some great questions that not just apply to me, but will apply to many people. Um, So we're gonna talk about all of that after this. And now it's time for the Eagle's Eye on Health. These are Kim's quick tips, latest health news, or piece of weekly inspiration. In today's Eagle Eye on Health, coming to you from NBC News, they had an article that certainly caught my eye. It was called What Running Does to the Knees, according to a large survey of marathon runners. Well, considering I'm a marathon runner and I am... um, is still involved in a knee recovery process. I had a procedure done. Um, I have severe patellar tendinopathy in my left knee. Had a procedure done, have not unfortunately had much success in my recovery. So I am looking for every option in the world other than surgery to help recover. And of course, one thing that has gone through my mind over and over is, uh, 
Should I really have done all those marathons? Was it this last marathon that did me in? Why do I have this problem? How did this happen? I'm so bummed. I haven't done cardio, you guys, in over nine weeks. That is killer on someone like myself. It's killer on anyone because you need cardiovascular exercise uh, to feel good and for your health. And so I definitely have been feeling the, the sadness of my injury lately, but don't worry because I'm staying super positive and have a new path to try. I'm just gonna keep trying as many things as I can, again, trying to avoid surgery. So that all being said, when I saw this article, what is running due to the knees, I was definitely like interested. I wanted to know what, you know, what have I done? Is it okay? Can I move on? Will I run again? Well, this is what they said. They said that so many runners often hear, and perhaps you're a runner who have heard, that if you pound the pavement, you will destroy your knees. Well, I wanna let you know that a new study found that runners were not more likely to develop hip or knee osteoarthritis the longer, faster, and more frequently they ran. So osteoarthritis is a condition marked by deteriorating cartilage where the bones meet and it affects over 32 million adults in the United States. As the cartilage cushioning the bones wears down, that's where osteoarthritis can cause pain, stiffness. For some people, it's even somewhat disabling, and it's the most common form of arthritis, especially among older adults, and sadly, there's not really a cure for that. Now, according to Dr. Hartwell, he says once that osteoarthritis is there, it is there, which is definitely a huge bummer because you cannot reform the cartilage. But the new research surveyed over 3,800 recreational runners. They all participated in the Chicago Marathon in 2019 or 2021 with questions for how many years they'd been running, their average running paces, and whether they had family histories of arthritis. Now, it is widely believed among doctors that using the joints more and more and more and more, like us runners like to do, through repetitive activity like running, that it can make the knee and the hip cartilage deteriorate more quickly, increasing the osteoarthritis risk. Now, Northwestern University researchers, including Dr. Hartwell, who was at Northwestern for the duration of the study, found that this was actually not the case. And on average, the runners who responded to the survey were just shy of 44 years old and ran about 27.9 miles per week at eight minutes and 52 seconds per mile. They'd typically been running for close to 15 years. And although that number ranged from one to 67 years, many respondents were running their fastest marathon while a select few had run dozens and most fell somewhere in between. Now, thanks to the broad nature of the group surveyed, a departure from historical research was usually always focused on the elite level Olympians. This time, the Northwestern researchers could analyze how runners' arthritis risk changed according to their running pace, intensity, cumulative running history, and it wasn't your Olympic level sport <laughs> enthusiasts this time. Now, surprisingly, they found no association between an increased risk for knee or hip arthritis and the number of years someone had been running. So that's 
pretty exciting, if you ask me, right? Um, given the survey respondents' wide range of weekly mileage, paces, ages, and cumulative years spent running, the results could apply to average runners who never even get close to marathon level distance as well. Now, runners should be encouraged by these results, they say. They refute the current dogma that long distance running predisposes an individual to arthritis of the hip and the knee. Now, many doctors see osteoarthritis as a wear and tear condition. And uh, they said that we are often compared to cars. <laughs> and if you liken people to cars, then intuitively it makes sense because the more you use your joints, the more you're going to wear them out. But they said that the joint is an it's a very active and living part of the body, almost like an organ. So the wear and tear notion, it just doesn't account for the ways that running can benefit your joint health and potentially offset that deterioration. So that's also pretty awesome, at least when I read it. I was sort of encouraged there <laughs> about that. Now they did say that, you know, it will be very interesting uh, to do more research long-term on these runners. So, you know, checking them out now versus checking them out 10 years from now, that will certainly help us learn a lot as well. But overall, I'm gonna take it. It's basically saying that it's, I can keep marathon running. It's not causing osteoarthritis. Um, so, We'll see. I've asked every doctor that I have seen, um, and I have now had uh, one, two, three, four. I've now had four opinions. Every single one of those doctors said I will run again and I will run marathons again. I will say that that was very encouraging for me, that no one gave me this look of, are you kidding? After everything you've been through, are you really considering running another marathon? Um, they said, yeah, you can, you will, don't worry. And so I thought that was really good. Now, there's definitely a part of my heart that is also now saying, but do I really need to? And is it best for my body? And I don't know. We're going to see where my recovery goes. My recovery is definitely um, having me think about a lot of things that I'm doing for my body that I have done to my body. Um, even though I'm super fit, super strong, super healthy, I am starting to wonder if perhaps, you know, all of the endurance training that I have done in my life has not in some way impacted my body in a slightly negative way because it is a lot of pounding. And even if it's not gonna cause osteoarthritis in my hips and my knees, I will say that someone like myself, I have scoliosis. I'm not sure that it's benefiting my back to do all of that pounding on the pavement. So there may be some things that I need to change. I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna run another marathon because I do have two left in the world majors that I was really shooting for and really wanted to do. But at the same time, sometimes our goals and our dreams have to change. Those are just hobbies for me. That's nothing like, you know, like, going to college, for example, like that's that's an important dream for some people. It's really gonna impact their life, going to college or getting a higher education. Doing the world six majors marathons, that's not going to change anything in my life. <laughs> it was a nice goal and I hope to achieve it, but if I don't, I'm not gonna fall apart. Like sometimes we just have to amend our goals based on what's going on in our life. So never be afraid to amend your goals depending on what's going on in your life. Now let's talk a little bit about 
the questions that people had, uh, mostly from the private community. Some people emailed me some questions. Let's just go ahead and shoot and fire and I will answer what I can in our time. Now, Becky Barrett, she wants to know if I meditate, um, so meditation for me has definitely been something that I have practiced in the past, but I must say that, um, I sort of stopped meditating and I started doing something called breath work. Now you might say to yourself, well, isn't breath work meditation? Breath work is, is described more as consciously directing your breathing in a very certain way in order to influence certain processes in your body and your mind. Meditation, they say, is purely cognitive. So it's a cognitive process. It's not what um, the breathing does exactly. So they sort of go hand in hand, but they're also a little bit different. And I am actually, I do have an upcoming podcast about breath work because it's something that I've gotten really into. I read a book recently. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called Breathe by James Nestor. And it's fantastic. And it talks all about breath and breathing. And it was fascinating to me, uh, this book, because it talks really about the science of breathing. And you probably didn't even realize that there was a science and how it connects to your health. But I was absolutely amazed by this book and um, and have definitely be, ever since been practicing breath work. So I do breath work before I go to sleep at night. Um, I read before bed and then shut the lights out and then I do my breath work while I sort of prepare myself to go to sleep. So it's incredibly relaxing to do it right before bed and sometimes it helps put me to sleep for sure and that's when I do it and it's become this habit, it's become a routine and so it's really working for me. And whether you meditate or you do breath work, whatever it is, um, it can be incredibly powerful for your body and to help you with stress and anxiety, but creating a space for it so that it becomes a habit, that's the most important thing. So whether you always do it in the first thing in the morning when you wake up or if you always do it before bed or if you do it at your lunch hour whatever you do just make sure that you're creating some little habit where it's always going to fit in and then it just becomes like part of your day like eating breakfast right which I know you all do so there you go that's my uh, my answer on do I meditate she also wanted to know what I will be growing in the garden so if you don't follow me on Instagram I have a garden uh, Instagram handle it is garden to healthy g-a-r-d-e-n the number two and then healthy and i've gotten very into gardening in the last three years because it's definitely sort of gone hand in hand with my um I don't want to say obsession for nutrition but you know my my deep understanding and connection to nutrition, then gardening goes hand in hand with that. Because when I started growing my own food, I realized how powerful it was for the human body and that I could grow food without any pesticides at all, including organic pesticides. So I definitely buy all organic food at the market and organic produce, but I do understand that that produce is still sprayed with an organic pesticide of some sort. But I realized, well, I could grow my own food without any pesticide at all. I am a no-spray gardener, and that to me was extremely powerful. So I started getting really into gardening, 
And so in terms of what I'm growing uh, coming up, I'm just building my garden right now, a big, huge dream garden in our new home in Pennsylvania. And I'm really excited. It should be uh, ready to go in May. And so I will be planting all of the very similar things that I've done before because I have to experiment a little bit in this zone. I'll be in zone 6B. If you're a gardener, you know what that means. And so I'll be doing all the tomatoes and the peppers and the cucumbers. And I will do loofah again because I love, I love giving loofah away as gifts and using it myself. Um, every kind of lettuce that I can possibly grow, all my herbs I will definitely grow as well. What else do I got going? I'll be doing beans. I'm doing lima beans for the first time ever because I have a neighbor up the street who heard I was a gardener and like pretty much begged me if I would if I would uh, grow him some lima beans. <laughs> so I ordered some lima beans. I've never grown them before, but I'll give it a shot. And I love to grow garlic. It's not gonna be the time of year yet to do it, but I will grow garlic. I've got my sweet potato slips already growing downstairs right now, so I love to grow sweet potatoes. You name it, I will try and grow it if it can handle and sustain uh, the zone that I'm in. I think it'll be easier to garden here than Austin. Austin was like, to me, it was like running with a weighted vest on. It was gardening with a weighted vest on. Because of the heat and the humidity, it was really tough. So I think gardening here, should be a little easier, but Becky, I will let you know. All right, Kelly Green, she wants to know, uh, she wants to know a little bit more about how I am adjusting my nutrition since I am um, going through recovery of a knee procedure that I had done. So as I mentioned, I have not done any cardiovascular activity in over nine weeks. That means I, they told me I could not run, I could not bike, I could not do anything. I could do core and upper body. I will say my core and upper body are very strong right now. <laughs> that is all I get to do. But I have had to adjust my nutrition because I am used to burning 500 calories a day and I do not burn that anymore. So in order to not gain excessive amounts of weight, I have had to adjust my nutrition. Now, I think I mentioned it last week maybe, but um, it, when you have to stop doing cardio at this level, like I had to take it out cold turkey, there was no way I wasn't gonna gain a couple pounds. And I'm, I'm pretty much fine gaining like three to five pounds. Five pounds would be a max. Right now I'm up like three pounds. And I'm totally fine with that. I can live with three pounds as long as I'm not like feeling like I'm starving every day. Um, I wanna feel normal and healthy and I, I will not live through starvation just like I don't let my clients live through starvation. That's just not a way of life. But I still, even with gaining two or three pounds, have had to cut my calories down. Now, that's probably the biggest thing, Kelly, that I've done is just cutting my calories back from what I used to eat because I used to eat over 2,000 calories a day just to maintain my weight. So cutting back just a bit um, has definitely made all the difference. And that sometimes mean, means for me one less snack or not as many servings of dinner. Um, I used to easily be able to eat two servings of a dinner. And also splitting up my breakfast. So sometimes now I'll have like oatmeal when I wake up and then I'll have my eggs after I do my very small pitiful little workout. <laughs> so splitting up the meal has definitely helped me spread my calories out throughout the day. I'm not food logging. I, I just don't feel like I need to do that right now. I guess if I put on more than my three pounds, then maybe I would start if that would help. But right now for me, it's just about backing down on some of those calories. That's what I do. 
Um, Amy, Amy Christofferson, Amy Henry, I will always know you as. Um, Amy wants to know, how did the surgery go? How's recovery going? And what have I learned from the ordeal? So it wasn't actually a surgery. It, it was called a procedure. And because I have patellar tendinopathy at a very severe level, um, someone had, a couple doctors recommended I have something called 10X procedure done. Now I am not recommending this procedure for anyone. Um, because it has not been successful for me. If you have patellar tendinopathy, you can definitely go research many things. I'm just not gonna recommend it because I haven't had success with it. What they did is they went into the tendon with a needle and they put in some kind of ultrasound. They go into the tendon and they ultrasound it, uh, trying to break up the scar tissue. And they say that it had a really good um, healing rate and that's all they do. So you go into a surgery center, they give you a local into your knee, that was the most painful part, you're fully awake. And then they do the procedure, it takes five minutes, but it's a six week recovery, but it's a procedure, not a surgery. So six week recovery is much better than a surgery, which is a six month recovery, right? Now there's never a guarantee with a procedure or surgery, just so you know. And like I said, I am four out of six weeks um, into my recovery and I, I do not have any, uh, any change at all. So I am in physical therapy for it as well. I think the physical therapy is helping me strengthen my quads and that, you know, that definitely is important because I think there was some atrophy in my quadriceps for sure. But unfortunately the pain has not subsided. So I am seeking another alternative right now, um, which is a different physical therapist and doing, uh, a, just going a different route after I finish this procedure. But, you know, it's going well. How, what have I learned from the ordeal? You know, I'm just learning how to appreciate a healthy body. And I, I always say to everyone, like, if you don't have pain, if you don't have illness today, then take a moment, close your eyes and embrace that. Embrace how good that feels. Be so appreciative. Be so grateful for your healthy body. I think way too many runs went by where I didn't appreciate, although I definitely did appreciate a lot of them. I always appreciate at the start of a, a, a race and the end of a race, if I can get through it without pain. That's something to be really grateful for. But I'm learning a lot, Amy. I'm learning a lot about what I want in the future for my body because, you know, if I'm not feeling great at 50 and I don't do something about it right now, then I can tell you 60 and 70 are going to look really, really bad. And so that's why this next um, path for me with my next physical therapist is not just about working on my knee, but it's working on my back, my hips, which are all affecting my knee as well. Because I do have scoliosis, there's a lot to work on um, up in my spine and some atrophy in my muscles. So just getting it all figured out, uh, but I will get there. So nobody worry, because I will get there. Now, Cindy Gibson wants to know what to do to calm race nerves and how to get the nutrition in on the course when it's hard to get down. Well, I will tell you this, Cindy, um, the best way to get over race nerves is to race all the time. <laughs> because before you know it, you've raced so much that you're just hitting another start line and another finish line and you start to realize that it's just a race. We are not doing this as a profession, so I encourage you to get to the start line Close your eyes, be grateful for your healthy body. Like I said, if you have no pain and you can get to a start line, that's fantastic. You've already done the hardest work there is, which is training to get to that point. Um, I had a coach who had me racing so many triathlons one summer that I literally was just totally just 
I never got nervous for races anymore. So I just think that the more you do it, the easier it gets. And also just the reality check, if you're feeling super nervous, just check in and be like, what am I nervous for? Like, I do this for fun, right? This is all for fun. It's You're not a pro. You're not doing this because you gotta get a check at the end of the finish line. So always putting it into perspective really helps. Now the nutrition on the course, that part I can definitely help you with because if you're having trouble getting nutrition in on the course, it's because you didn't practice enough. So you have to practice your nutrition plan all through your training. Whether you're training for a triathlon or a half marathon or a marathon or any endurance distance race, you have to train the nutrition part just like you're training the physical part. So basically, like for my marathons, anything over pretty much 10 miles, I started training exactly how I would on race day. Meaning if I'm gonna take a gel every 35 minutes, then I have my watch set to go off and like you can set your watch timer for every 35 minutes, tells me time to take a gel. That's about what I do is I take uh, one full gel, I take Martin's every 35 minutes of a marathon and I start practicing that way early into the training. And so that way, by the time I get to the race, I have my race nutrition down. My body knows what it's gonna be like. It knows what it's gonna feel like. I don't get an upset stomach because I've been doing it for months. That is the only way that you are going to be able to handle that amount of nutrition on the course. Nutrition on the course for a run is generally gonna be some kind of gel. It could be a gummy. I personally don't wanna be chewing at mile 20. I don't wanna be doing anything at mile 20. And sometimes it's just easier to suck it up and swallow that gel even if you don't want it. You force it down, one big gulp, you swish it down with water and you're done. Um, it's really important that you get that nutrition down. Now, if you have never worked with gels before, then part of your training needs to be finding out which nutrition you want to use on the race course. So some gels may work better for you than others. If one upsets your stomach, well, we know that one's out and we try another one. If you wanna try jelly beans, great. If you wanna try the, the blocks, um, that's great as well. Again, for me, I don't wanna be chewing especially by mile 20, like nothing's going down easily by mile 20. And so the last thing I wanna do is have to chew to get there. So keep working, Cindy, on your nutrition, on your long run days. Um, if you are signed up for a marathon or a half marathon, once you get into the longer miles, I'd say, you know, 45 minutes or more for a half marathon, for sure you gotta start also practicing with your nutrition, exactly what you're gonna do on race day. So that way you, and your stomach know exactly what's coming. All right, Stephanie Booth wants to know, how are you strengthening your knees? What your routine is now that you can't run? So I'm doing physical therapy and I'm doing a lot of quadricep work uh, to help my, strengthen my knees. Right now we're doing a lot of eccentric quadricep work so that's one thing. Um, I'm doing a lot of manipulation of my patella as well. That's sort of interesting and a very weird feeling. But I have to be very cautious. I'm not doing squats. I'm not doing lunges. I cannot put any pressure on my knee. So I can't even do um, like tabletop on my hands and knees. So it's pretty limited what I'm doing right now. Um, I work with a strap also. So like I lay on my stomach and I pull my foot from behind and do some eccentric work that way as well. It's pretty limited. It's very specific, given to me by my physical therapist. And then I do all core and upper body um, 
So I just was allowed to start walking for 15 minutes a day. So <laughs> very minimal walking as well. And that's about it. Now you're saying that you just turned 50 and you feel like the wheels are coming off. I literally turned 50, I moved to Pennsylvania, and all the wheels came off this truck. <laughs> like every wheel possible. I don't know how many wheels were on this truck, but every one of them has come off. I don't know what it is about turning 50. I don't know if it was the move, all the stress, or what, but you know, I went from having knee pain to now I have, uh, I have glute pain or hamstring pain. My back's been bothering me. Um, the less I move because they're not letting me work out, the worse I feel. It's tough. Now, the good news is I'm super attention to detail on my nutrition. So um, I'm also like working to make sure I, I definitely have a diet where there, it's not gonna cause any inflammation. That's something also I've, I've been very focused on, like really limiting caffeine, limiting alcohol. Things like that can definitely help. But then my physical therapist told me that this is just what happens as you get older. <laughs> I was like, and of course my physical therapist looks like he's in his 20s, you know. Everybody looks so young when you turn 50. But you know, he said that your tendons just start changing at this age. And I get it, I mean the body is changing, the body is aging. So yes, the wheels start to come off. Now, what can I tell everybody out there? Well, if you're in your 20s and 30s right now, and even your 40s, do everything you can to get fit and healthy. So that when you hit your 50s and the wheels start falling off, you can handle it. Like even though my wheels are falling off, I'm still super fit and super healthy and I can handle it. If I were overweight right now, it would be a hundred times worse for me. My recovery would be worse, how I feel would be worse, like everything would be worse. So I say, take your 20s, your 30s, and your 40s to get super fit and healthy so that you can handle everything after that. <laughs> That's the best that I can tell you guys, and I'm telling you it definitely will help you. All right. Uh, next question. Someone had a question. Karen Salter had a question about how I felt about taking probiotics. Have you ever taken them or do you think it's a good to supplement with them occasionally? So no, I do not take probiotics. Have I ever? The only time I've ever taken probiotics is if I was on antibiotics and then they recommend that you get some acidophilus to prevent any gastric issues, even yeast infections, uh, when you're on antibiotics. So I have done that in the past, but I do not take probiotics because they're a supplement, and we'll talk about that. Um, just so you understand, microbes in the lower intestinal tract, that's what helps us digest food, it fights the harmful bacteria, it also regulates the immune system, and when there is an imbalance of microbes in that intestinal tract, it can cause diarrhea and it can cause health problems. Now, when the gut becomes unbalanced with these unhealthy levels of certain bacteria, they do say probiotics can help restore that balance. And they've been shown to secrete protective substances which can turn on the immune system and prevent pathogens from taking hold, they say, which can create major diseases. But they also say, like in all the research I've done, that they're still learning a lot and trying to understand how and if these probiotics really can promote health. Now, some studies do suggest that taking a probiotic while taking antibiotics, like I told you, that's what I have done, then you're less likely to get diarrhea, which can sometimes happen when you take an antibiotic. Now, I would say the reason why I hesitate 
again on something like this is because even though there's many types of probiotics on the market and some have been studied, most have not been studied. There are some risks with probiotics. Um, they say that if some people have weak immune systems, maybe from illness or medications that they've been on, that the person could actually get sicker or sick from probiotics. I would say the biggest concern is that probiotics are considered a dietary supplement. They are not considered a drug. And because of that, the FDA doesn't monitor the manufacture of probiotics, just like any other supplement. They do not monitor supplements. And so it's not clear if probiotics that can be bought at pharmacies and health food stores are high quality products. And it's even possible that some of the lower quality products that you could buy may not even contain the probiotic bacteria that is listed. And that is very sad, but that is part of the whole supplement world that we live in. And I'm not willing to risk it because basically, you know, supplements are not regulated by the FDA. So you don't actually know what you're getting. Now, I will say this, it is important to get probiotics in your body but I wouldn't do it by supplement because there's so many foods that are loaded with these cultures of good bacteria. So you wanna focus on eating things like Greek yogurt. And you all know the Eagle Shake that I make is Greek yogurt and I have that every day, which is a huge source of probiotics. Um, kefir is another one. And fermented vegetables like pickles or sauerkraut, that can have a certain amount of uh, food source probiotic. So if you, if you are thinking you need them for some reason, I would try to stick to the food source of the probiotic versus taking the supplement. However, I will also say that you should always talk to your doctor. And if that's something they're recommending, then you know, you should always listen to your doctor. But if you're just feeling like you should take them just because your neighbor does, mm, you might rethink it. All right. All right. Last question from Amy Clayton. She wants to know about strength training for different body types. For example, someone that is lean and struggles to build muscle definition versus someone who is muscular, more bulky, and tends to build muscle faster, but prefers to preserve muscle yet lean out and not build more. Should they, should they do less weight? Should they do less reps? Is it about nutrition? It is a great question. And it's not like there is one answer and there's not one magic way to do it for everybody. I can only tell you that in general, someone who's super lean and struggles to put on muscle generally isn't eating enough. Uh, you do actually have to eat not only enough calories, but you have to get in enough protein to put on muscle. And if you are someone who's super skinny and super small, and maybe you deficit your calories because you don't want to gain weight, you just might not be eating enough to even put on any amount of muscle. I have found that with some of my clients who have come to me, they're not, they're not looking to lose weight. They're looking to put on muscle. But when I would try to get them to eat more, they were very resistant because they didn't want to put on any weight. And the reality was they would probably put on weight if they were going to put on muscle because muscle weighs a lot, right? We all know it weighs more than fat. So you have to be willing to eat enough and eat enough protein to put on muscle if you are that person who's super lean. I mean, even if you're not the person who's super lean, you still have to eat a certain amount and a certain amount of protein to put on muscle. Uh, also, those very lean people, I would say they probably have to lift heavier and slower versus doing tons of reps. 
Now, the person who puts on muscle faster and someone who sort of feels like they bulk up really fast, um, he, couple things about that. Uh, often, it's not that they bulk up really fast. It's just that they have a certain amount of fat that they still have to lose. And so if you have an amount of fat that you have to lose and you're putting muscle on and so it's like you're not seeing it and you'd start to feel just thicker. Uh, and really the issue is not like you're, you're putting on muscle and you have a good amount under, but there's a layer of fat that's sort of hiding it and so you feel bulkier. And so really for someone in that situation, they probably do have to change their nutrition a bit so we can sort of lean down uh, that fat layer so that you can see the muscle. And then I don't think you're gonna feel, I don't think that person's gonna feel like the muscle is too much, um, especially a woman. We don't have that much testosterone to really bulk up a lot. But that being said, some people do put muscle on much faster. I actually put muscle on pretty fast. And so in that case, I would just not have you lifting as many days a week, potentially, as someone else who is struggling to put on muscle. I might have you lift two days a week max, full body, and then use a third day to do something like Pilates or yoga and you know stretching mobility versus another day of intense strength training. So that's probably how I would handle that, but I do think a lot of that feeling is more about nutrition and leaning out versus you know changing something in terms of how to lift weights. Because I mean, if you put on muscle, I put on muscle fast, and so I, that's a benefit to me. I'm already pretty lean, so you see the muscle really quickly, and I don't have a problem with that. I like that look, right? Um, but if you are not lean, then that's that time where you just start to feel thick and bulky. And so that's, I think, really what needs to change is the nutrition on that. So that was a lot of questions. That's everything for today for Ask Me Anything. Again, if you ever have a question that you have for yourself, like someone wanted to know about probiotics today, so I was able to answer that for them, or someone wanted to know about weight training, I'm happy to answer a question for you or about me, whatever it is that might benefit you. You can always send your question to Kim at EarnThatBody.com. Just in the subject line, write Ask Me Anything, or feel free to shoot me a DM. Same thing, just say, hey, for the Ask Me Anything, Anything podcast episode next time and then ask me your question. That's it for today, everyone. Make sure you go to earnthatbody.com. Sign up for Summer Six Pack. It's going to be a super fun two-week challenge. And the Earn That Body podcast is always here to bring you fitness, nutrition, and health information you can put into play right away. For more information about Kim Eagle's online programs, go to earnthatbody.com. Or check out Earn That Body on all forms of social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. 